1782, America is in the midst of the Revolutionary War, fighting to gain its independence from the reign of Britain's King George III. Everywhere across the colony, men are volunteering to do their part and ensure a victory. One of these volunteers was Robert Shirtliff, 22 years old, thin, and a former indentured servant. Robert quickly made a mark. He led a team that scouted the neutral part of Manhattan to assess the buildup of British supplies. He then led a raid that captured 15 men and another expedition that ended up with a one-on-one -on -one battle with the Brits and victory. Robert was tough. On one occasion, he was shot in the left thigh and extracted the pistol ball by himself with no aid or supervision by a doctor. But in late 1784, an epidemic raged through Philadelphia and Robert fell ill. Robert lost consciousness and was taken to a hospital, and it was then that his secret was discovered, one that had been harbored for almost two years. Robert was actually a woman. Deborah Sampson wanted to help out the war effort, but at that time in history, the U.S. military banned women from joining. So in order to protect her country, Deborah did the only thing she could. She dressed up as a man, called herself Robert Shirtliff, signed up, and became a hero. During the Revolutionary War, thousands of women wanted to aid the battle but weren't allowed to, and that continued for years after. Actually, it continued for almost two centuries. But now, not only are women playing an increasingly large role in the military, but stories like Deborah Sampson's are being celebrated at places like the Military Women's Memorial in Washington, D.C. And today, we're going to learn more about the memorial and the women that are recognized there. I'm Carrie Varuhaikis, and this is the new Army Matters. In today's episode, host Colonel Dan Roper will be speaking to Chief Warrant Officer 5, Phyllis Wilson. They're both U.S. Army retired, and she is the current president of the Military Women's Memorial. In a city with monuments that have been around for as long as 100 years, the memorial is a very young 25 years old, but it's already gained a well-deserved, great reputation and is telling the story of the 3 million women who have served in the various levels of the military over the years. I wanna repeat that number. Three million. That's an astonishing figure. And what's incredible is that a lot of those women had to jump through all sorts of hoops just for the opportunity to risk their own lives for the country, as Deborah Sampson did. Even today, women still have uphill battles to fight within the ranks, but the memorial is helping increase awareness of what they've done and inspiring future generations of female leaders. So on that note, let's find out what the memorial is up to in our conversation with Phyllis Wilson. Enjoy. Hello, this is Colonel Retired Dan Roper, Director of National Security Studies at the Association of the United States Army. Joining us today is Chief Warrant Officer 5, Phyllis Wilson, President of the Military Women's Memorial. Phyllis served in the U.S. Army for 37 years, working in both counterterrorism and intelligence, and deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere. She's here to discuss the memorial, the stories of the patriotic women who have served that inspire her, and what the Women's Memorial team did just two weeks ago to celebrate their 25th anniversary. Phyllis Wilson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Now, the Military Women's Memorial is a tribute to the millions of women who have served our nation's military from its beginning and shines a spotlight on their stories. 
But to begin, what's your Army story? Why did you originally join the U.S. Army? Well, I got to say, I joined the Army for college money. Nobody in my family had any military background that I was aware of and was trying to self-fund my way through community college. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. As I was turning 20 years old and two years into community college, I realized this is going to take forever at the rate I'm going. And as fate would have it, there was a military recruiting station along the route in which I traveled every day. And it was back in the be all that you can be campaign era. And I stopped in to see what they had to offer me. And as fate would have it, my dad, having been born and raised Pennsylvania Dutch, Amish, horse and buggy, they had an opportunity to learn a foreign language, in this case, German, with an enlistment bonus. And I knew that I would then get my college taken care of. So I thought, I'll give four years and be done. Well, so many of us that chose to stay longer say the same thing. We came in for one purpose, but we stayed for something completely different. And that's just the team, the camaraderie, the sense of purpose, something bigger than ourselves. So I did, in fact, take advantage of all the tuition assistance and, and complete the education that I wanted, not becoming a doctor, but I did become a registered nurse. Before we dive any deeper into the aspects of the memorial and its anniversary this month, could you tell us a little bit about what the memorial is and how it got started? Well, I'll tell you, um, as the memorial was being built 25 years ago, 40,000 people showed up for that. Many of them were World War II women that at that time were only able to serve for the duration of a war plus six months. And they were rather unceremoniously sent home. No ticker tape parades, no anything. Thank you, go home. They packed up their uniforms, put them in a lovely box, normally up high in their bedroom closet, and they moved on with their lives, like so many of the men did as well. But as the Vietnam Women's Memorial was being built, the women of the Korea conflict and World War II said, hey, 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 wait a minute, what about us? We answered the call. We did what we were asked to do and beyond what we were asked to do. Where's that recognition? So Congress in 1986 passed a public law approving the creation of this National Women's Memorial. And so while we call it a memorial, it's a living memorial. We tell the stories of those that are still alive as well as those that have gone before us. I've been to the memorial before and have to say that walking through its displays is both profound and impactful. What's your favorite part of the memorial and the role that it plays? So after 37 years in the Army, you would think I'd know a thing or two about women in the military. And every time when I walk up and down the gallery, this exhibit complex, it starts with the Revolutionary War and goes all the way to today. These stories, how did I not know? Why didn't I know? Why doesn't America know about these incredible patriotic women? Because women have never been drafted. So they all either raised the right hand or they faked it. They disguised themselves as men and they came forward and they, they fought for their nation as well. Three million women have served and defended even before we were legally permitted to be part of the military. One of my favorite stories for any of us that have deployed, whether you went to basic training, you went to college, or you went to a combat zone and you got a care package from home. Ah, the heavens opened, the sun shined. It was lovely. Somebody loved you and sent you a package. Now, we all know those packages don't normally arrive as shipped. 
So one particular story, a nurse in Vietnam had had a horrific week of too many wounded, too many dead showing up at her surgical hospital. And she remembered taking like a garden hose and hosing the blood off all of the stainless steel operating tables. And as she was walking out, somebody told her she had a package and she knew instantly that the only person that shipped her packages was her lovely sister that sent her most favorite treat, Twinkies. She tears the box open, opens up the Twinkies. They are crawling with black ants. She's somewhat dejected, but her roommate says, wait a second, we have an ice box. Throw them in there. It'll kill the ants. You'll flick them off. And in wonderful army fashion, her next line in her story is, those were the best darn Twinkies of my life. So it's emblematic and it's where we can find that connective tissue with all of us, no matter what the generation is. My favorite cookies are oatmeal butterscotch cookies, the butterscotch chips. And my mom baked them when I was in Iraq and sent them over. Well, by the time they arrived in the big Ziploc bags, they look like granola and not cookies. But me and about six or seven of my teammates, we marched down to the chow hall. We all scooped bowls of ice cream and we sprinkled this oatmeal butterscotch cookie granola on top. And I'm telling you now, that is the way to eat that particular confection. Well, now I'm having memories of shoeboxes full of crushed cookies from home that were absolutely delicious. It's something that everyone appreciated when deployed. Exactly. What strikes me is how hard it was for women to even serve in the military. In some cases, getting into the military was as difficult for these patriotic women as their actual service. It was like they had to run 26 miles just to get to the start of a marathon and then begin the race. When you go back a couple hundred of years, you know, society was was so different. When we were much more of a farming nation, there was a purpose and, and why the roles were laid out in the manner in which they were. But as we became more mechanized in, in the factories, and particularly in World War II, when all of the people were called in really out of the fields to work in factories to create all of the, the war machine that we needed in order to fight and win, people came from all over. And, and these are incredible stories, women that stood up and learned. And one of these amazing women of World War II, a young nurse, Lena Stratton, five foot six, 119 pounds, blue eyes, brown hair. And the photos that I've seen of her are just staggering. She received the Bronze Star and eight campaign stars for everywhere she went through, all of North Africa, up through Anzio, up through Casino, which I did not know anything about until I read it from there because I thought she misspelled Casino with two S's. Uh, She went through France, Battle of the Bulge, and she was in Augsburg the day uh, she was notified that the war was over in Europe. And she went back through the Alps into Italy to get on a ship with the rest of her unit. And while they were on the ship going back in the summer of 45, uh, they were being told that they would get 30 days of R&R and then be prepared to ship to the Pacific. By the time they made it back and completed their 30 days, the Japanese also surrendered. So they did not have to go over again. But this young woman and her stories of evacuating hospitals that were under pressure of being overrun by the enemy and putting sandbags on top of patients and things. I cannot imagine being early 20s and just keep moving forward and doing that for two and a half years. It's incredible. That's just an incredible story. 
We have to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Phyllis about how the memorial demonstrates the evolution of women's involvement in the military over the years. Did you know, as a member of AUSA, you have access to many benefits. From car rental to entertainment discounts, the opportunities are ample. Visit AUSA.org benefits to learn more. We're back and speaking with Chief Warrant Officer Phyllis Wilson, president of the Military Women's Memorial. Before the break, we were talking about how difficult it was for women to even exercise their right to serve in our nation's military. That has changed to some extent in the last 20 to 30 years. How do you think the memorial conveys the role of women in the military has evolved and advanced over the past decades? Sure. So the women have always been the all-volunteer force, and we've never been drafted. So at any time, you could argue the, the luxury of simply volunteering and not being drafted like our male counterparts have been. For the longest time, even when we were legally permitted to have a career in the military, we were capped at 2% of the military. And now, across all of the services, we're, we're approaching right near to 20%. And it does make a difference. Uh, we've asked clearly, don't change the standards, don't make them any easier so that we can get in there. What the job requires is what the job requires. And if we can meet that measure, just like our men can, then we want in. Certainly the hundreds of thousands of women that have served in combat zones in the last 20 plus years is really staggering. Without the women going and their careers and their skill sets that they brought to the fight, we, we would not have been nearly as successful. And so I think it's really an empowering thing. We look at now the barriers that have broken down from being able to have a career, not being discharged when you become pregnant, being able to make rank above 05 for 20 years. That was our ceiling. We could not make rank above that. We couldn't attend service academies. We weren't allowed in the ROTC programs until the 70s. And so all of these things have come to bear and you're just watching this continued migration of how women are seeing themselves and how the nation views them in combat roles. Now, just two weeks ago, from October 14th to the 16th, the memorial celebrated its 25th anniversary. I am honored to welcome to the podium Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with all of you. What an impressive crowd. I want to congratulate you, Phyllis, you and your team for what you've done to make the day such a special occasion. I am truly grateful for the tremendous women service members who shared their stories with all of us today. You're a tough act to follow. You know, Secretary McDonough and I were sitting there listening to these compelling testimonies, and we both said, what the heck are we doing here? <laughs> We're only going to screw this up. This is really good. So tremendous, tremendous contributions to our nation. Thank you for your service, for your sacrifices. Thank you for the sacrifices of the families. It's been a real treat to hear your individual stories today. Continue to do what you're doing to inspire all those in the military and all those who support us. We have had an incredible outpouring of love and devotion and women that were here 25 years ago have returned. 
to, to witness it all over again and brought friends and family that missed it for whatever reason. Either they were too young, they just didn't know, whatever the case may be came back to enjoy and celebrate with with separate luncheons by the army, had a party, the sea services had one, and then now the air and space forces. And then the big event, which was on the plaza with the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of Veterans Affairs and all other VIPs and dignitaries out there and several thousand people to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the memorial. But the last day was having General Vaught, our founder and president emeritus, who just was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest award in the land for civilians. We have done some renovations to the memorial, and she dedicated the Vaught Center, the Brigadier General Wilma L. Vaught Center, in her honor. I did not know who General Vaught was before I started working there. And how could I not know this woman that is just, she's an icon in many categories, but most people have never heard of her. That's a great description of what was a great event. And you've partially touched on this, but for the last question, could you tell us what you see as the enduring significance of the Women's War Memorial for the next 25 years and beyond? I think what I really envision is that repository of all of these incredible women's stories, especially those that served in the last 25 years. Tammy Duckworth is a prime example. Army helicopter pilot loses her legs in Iraq, became ultimately an elected official in the state of Illinois, then a a U.S. representative from Illinois, and now a senator. And we continue to highlight and tell that story of what these different women continue to do. But we are missing so many stories of women that are serving or have served. And if they are already passed and they're no longer living, then somebody in their family or a friend, you can create an account yourself on our website and you can put that story in there. Don't let it be lost because we can only tell the stories that we know of. And if we don't know your story, it will never be told. How can listeners find out more about the memorial? If you go to our website, womensmemorial.org, we have a virtual tour. There's little boot prints in there, and you can just keep clicking on the boots. And as we look to the future, it's going to be a really great story of what women will bring not only to the military, but to this nation. Well, thank you, Phyllis, for sharing your own story, but more importantly, undertaking this vast and overdue initiative to tell the stories of the millions of women who have served Our country and our military are definitely better off for their service and for learning their stories. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Army Matters is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at ausa.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission, educate, inform, and connect with the Total Army, our industry partners, and supporters of a strong national defense. Thanks to the Military Women's Memorial for allowing us to share a snippet of the Military Women's Memorial 25th anniversary program with words from Chief Wilson and Secretary Lloyd Austin. Today's episode was hosted by Colonel Retired Dan Roper and anchor hosted by Carrie Viral Hockey. 
The producer and writer is Anthony Del Call, and supervising sound editor is Andy Bosnack. And Zinga Curry is the executive producer, and the senior producers are Carrie Barrow-Hockies and LaSharon Duncan. Special thanks to Angela King, Angela Pubel, and Michelle Cabotaje for their help. Be sure to subscribe to Army Matters wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. As you know, we love seeing stars in the Army, especially if it comes in the form of a five-star review. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast.ausa.org. I'm Sharon Duncan. Hope you have a great Army day. Hua.